1862, 11-year-old Willie Lincoln died of typhoid fever. His father, Abe, then President of the United States, had the boy's body embalmed. Three years later, Abe Lincoln's own body would be embalmed and put on display as the presidential funeral train made its way from Washington, D.C. to Springfield, Illinois. For most Americans, this was their first exposure to an embalmed body. These two embalmings contributed to a revolution in death care. On this week's podcast, we're taking a look at the practice of embalming. Welcome to Death Becomes Her, the mini-cast where we spend five to ten minutes discussing death, dying, and grief from a variety of angles. I'm your host, Lyella Kelly. Right at the outset, I've got to warn you, I'm pretty sure I'm going to go over 10 minutes. I apologize in advance for my long-windedness. In the last episode of Death Becomes Her, I talked about cuddle cots. I referenced a comment that I had found online. The author of the comment couldn't wrap their minds around the benefits of an innovation such as the cuddle cot, which is just fine. We all have our own feelings and opinions on what feels good and right for us. By way of reminder, the cuddle cot is used to keep a baby's body cool, inhibiting natural decomposition changes, thus allowing bereaved parents time to bond with their baby. The part of the comment that I found really interesting was this. The author writes, quote, the fact that they have to try and keep it, the baby, from decomposing is frankly disturbing. It just seems very unhealthy to, for lack of a better phrase, play pretend for hours with a dead body. We don't do this with adults. Hmm. Are you sure about that? I would have to argue that that is exactly what we do with adults. I'm going to walk you through the process of embalming, and you can decide for yourself what you think. First, what is embalming? Embalming refers to the preservation of human remains via inhibiting decomposition with the use of chemicals for the purpose of medical education or social reasons. The three goals of embalming are sanitation, preservation, and presentation. Now for a bit of history. As mentioned at the outset, the embalming of the two Lincoln's bodies introduced many Americans to the process. At the same time, the Civil War was raging, causing the deaths of an estimated 620,000 men. Up until this period of time, Victorian mourning traditions had been the norm. It was customary for families and communities to care for their own dead. They would bathe, lay out, and bury the body, little to no professional assistance required. With so many men dying far from home and the preference to care for their own dead and to have a decent burial, a solution was found. Embalming. As you may have gathered, President Lincoln took a great interest in embalming and directed that the method be used to allow Union soldiers to return to their hometowns for proper burial. Enter Dr. Thomas Holmes, a captain in the Army Medical Corps. Using an arsenic-based solution, he reportedly embalmed over 4,000 soldiers and officers. 
Realizing that there was money to be made, Dr. Holmes promptly resigned his military commission and started offering embalming to the public for $100 per body. He advertised in shops by displaying the preserved bodies of unknown soldiers, which he had collected from the battlefields. This seems a little exploitive to me, and I am not the only one with this opinion. The National Museum of Civil War Medicine website says this, Embalmers following the Union and Confederate armies around the country were portrayed as vultures, fattening themselves on the dead. They pitched tents close to battle sites and offered soldiers the chance to prepay for their own embalming should they be killed. In January 1865, General Ulysses S. Grant withdrew embalmers' permits and ordered them beyond the lines to stop them from affecting the morale of the other soldiers. After the Civil War, embalming fell into disuse because of lack of demand and there were few trained to do the procedure. The undertakers went back to traditional cooling techniques like using ice to impede decomposition long enough to have a funeral. But with time, embalming again became an option with the benefit of allowing the haste to be taken out of the burial process, giving people ample time to arrange and prepare for funerals. Representatives for embalming fluid companies began traveling the country presenting brief instruction in the use of their products. After these classes, with the purchase of a quantity of fluid, an undertaker received a certificate as an embalmer. It was that simple. In modern embalming, a solution that is both a disinfectant and preservative is injected into the body, replacing the natural body fluids. This kills bacteria that cause decomposition and therefore slows decay. Are you ready to talk about how this process works? If you're not, you may just want to skip the rest of this. We're going to get to the nitty gritty. This is going to get a bit graphic, so here we go. First, the body is prepared for embalming. This includes washing the body and massaging the limbs to relieve any rigor mortis that may be present. Next, the facial features are set in place. The eyes are posed in a closed position and secured either with glue or an eye cap that sits between the eye and the eyelid. It prevents a sunken eye look and it keeps the eyelid in a closed position. The mouth will be closed and secured either by suturing or wires. If sutured, string is threaded through the lower jaw, below the gums, up and through the gums of the top front teeth, into the right or left nostril, through the nasal septum and into the other nostril, and then back down into the mouth and the string is tied off and it closes the jaw. If the jaw is wired shut, a tool called a needle injector is used to insert a piece of wire that is anchored to a needle into both the upper and the lower jaws. Then the wires are tied together and the mouth is secured in a closed position. Now to the actual embalming. There are actually two different kinds of embalming that will happen. The first is arterial embalming. This process will flush the vascular system or the circulatory system. To achieve this, embalming fluid, which is generally comprised of formaldehyde, methanol, detergents, dyes, and other substances, is forced into the body through an artery using a pump to displace the blood, which will then drain out through an open vein. It takes about two gallons of fluid to embalm a typical body. 
You may have noticed that dye was on the ingredient list of the embalming solution. The dyes are added in order to simulate a lifelike skin tone. The next step is cavity embalming. Vascular or arterial embalming may not thoroughly reach the organs or the spaces around the organs, so cavity embalming can be employed to directly address these areas. First, a small incision is made near the belly button. Then a surgical instrument called a trocar will be inserted. The trocar looks kind of like a giant screwdriver. It has a handle attached to a long, hollow, pointed shaft. The shaft is about a quarter inch in diameter. The length of the shaft will vary from 7 to 22 inches depending on the size of the body that is being embalmed. The trocar will be used to puncture the organs of the chest and abdominal cavity, draining them of gas and fluids, fecal matter, or other waste. Embalming fluid will be introduced directly into the major organs and body cavity. In the process, tissues are fixed, which will cause the organs to harden. Any incisions on the body will be closed with a little plastic device called a trocar button. These are small, conical-shaped plastic screws with a Phillips head top. They remind me of those little plastic wall anchors that you would put into sheetrock to hang pictures. The button is inserted into the incision and can be tightened down with a screwdriver. This will prevent fluid from leaking out of the incision. At this point, the body is now fully embalmed. The body can then be dressed, makeup will be applied, the hair will be styled, nails cut, glasses added, whatever seems appropriate to make this person look like they did in life. So let's get back to the statement that got this whole tangent started. After learning about the embalming process and the lengths that we go to in our culture to make a body look like it's still alive, Do you agree with the person who said it was disturbing to use a cuddle cot to prevent the body of a baby from decomposing in order to allow parents time to be with their child? Is it disturbing to use the embalming process to prevent the decomposing of a body in order to present a fine-looking corpse to family and friends at a funeral? I would love to hear your thoughts. Send me a message. And... If you found all this embalming talk to be a bit shocking and you're thinking, I don't want that for myself. Good news. Even though embalming is very common, embalming is not required by law. If you have strong feelings on the topic, make sure to note them in your advanced directive. Or if you're thinking, yes, please preserve me as long as possible, put that in your advanced directive. Whatever your wishes are, make them known. Thank you for listening to the Death Becomes Her minicast. Connect with me, Lyella Kelly, at www.leavingwellmt.com. Special thanks to Roman Belove for our intro and outro music. Thank you for tuning in, and remember, talking about death won't kill you. I promise.